great. Let's pray uh, again, just as we look at it together. Father, we praise you that there is none like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds and doing wonders. I thank you for even just reading this, uh, this wonderful song of all that you've shown of yourself there. Please help us as we look at it now to see you uh, as you are and to, to know you and to love you and live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. And on a theme that Nathan started in the children's item, uh, let me ask the question, the Lord is dot, dot, dot. How would you finish that sentence? And that's another question. That's not a rhetorical. How would you answer that? The Lord is dot, dot, dot. Good. Fantastic. Great start. The Lord is glorious, merciful. Sorry? My light and salvation. Brilliant. Sovereign protector. Is that? Great. We go on all morning, right? Um, all kinds of things, all kinds of ways that the Bible answers that question. Maybe just from Exodus, we could say the Lord is who the Lord is. Remember that? In the burning bush, I am who I am. The Lord is. He's eternal, transcendent, incomparable. The Lord is faithful to his promises and his people. It's that covenant-keeping God. He's powerful. He's the only God. Or to quote Moses uh, later in the book of Exodus, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. All kinds of things are ways that we can answer that. But as we come to this, this stopping point in Exodus, because I say we are pausing here, there's one further explanation or revelation of who the Lord is. Have a look at chapter 15, verse 3. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is a man of war. Or warrior, as quite a lot of other translations go for. The Lord is a warrior. I don't know what your first reaction to that is. Perhaps that's not the first thing that comes to mind. Well, it wasn't either at the first service or here. No one else said said that. You might be quite shocked by that. You might even be quite offended by that, given the connotations of the thoughts when we say war today and the things we think about going on in the world. But the passage today, Exodus 15, shows us that it is a good thing that the Lord is a warrior, a man of war. And in fact, not only is it a good thing, actually it's something to be rejoiced in. So if you've just kind of written that off, hang on a sec, the Lord is a man of war... Just hold fire and let's look at this wonderful chapter together and see the Lord reveal himself. So in Exodus, God's people who were enslaved for 400 years there, bitter slavery, harsh labour, they've finally been freed. God saved them. Do you remember from last week when they were, it looked like they were, they were in trouble and there was no way, no way out? So on one side you had the wilderness and Pharaoh's army closing in. On the other, you've got the Red Sea. There seemed like no escape. And yet the Lord brought amazing salvation as he parted the waters and the people walked through on dry ground. And then when Pharaoh 
uh, evil Pharaoh and his wicked people, when they went in afterwards, well, the waters come crashing back down and they're destroyed. And there, standing on the bank, having just experienced this salvation, the Lord's people sing. That's what that Exodus chapter 15 is. It is a song. It is a song of victory, a song of praise for the salvation that the Lord has brought. Because that salvation was entirely his work. They have seen firsthand the Lord's salvation. And they respond in song. In verse 1, we find that it is Moses and the men, that the people of Israel there is actually masculine, so Moses and the men. But actually, when we see verse 19 to 21, we find Miriam, Moses' sister, and the women joining in too. All the people praising the Lord for his salvation. Because salvation brings a response in God's people. And the right response to salvation is praise. And praise is often sung. Not always by any means. We can praise simply in words. But praise is often sung. We find that in the Bible. It happens regularly. It's what we do here on a Sunday morning. Perhaps it's what you may well do in your car. Or the shower. Or when you're making breakfast. We, we sing. Christians are singing people because Christians have experienced a great salvation and the response, the right response to that is praise. The people there having experienced salvation sing. But what is it they sing about? What is it they do? Well, first heading there you can see on your sheets is praise the mighty Lord who saves his people. Praise the mighty Lord who saves his people. As I've said, as I've already referred to, we may be surprised to notice that the theme of this song, the theme of this praise, is the Lord's destruction of their enemies. But but undoubtedly that is so. It starts in verse 1. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. And it's picked up in verse 4. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. You remember from last week that in those days the chariots were the, the, the highest technology in military warfare. And yet they were no match for the Lord. And Egypt's army was the greatest in the known world. And yet they were simply no match for the Lord. You know when you, if you go to, to a beach, a pebbly beach, and you pick up a big stone and you lob it in? I love the sound it makes. Come. I can't do it, but you know, you know the sound I mean. But that's what, says, that's what they say happens to Pharaoh's army. He's sunk like a stone. And then uh, the, the, the song carries on celebrating this victory in rich poetry. So verse 7 in the greatness of your majesty, you overthrew your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. Does anyone else kind of burn their receipts or things? I don't know where I, I don't know why I do this, but somewhere I picked up on the line, you should kind of destroy your receipts or things with your address on it. Um, you could shred it or whatever. Some kind of got a, you get bins to do that, can't you? 
And a while ago, I was trying to do that with our old receipts, but I, I tried to do it having left the receipts out in a bag outside for a couple of days. And so they were quite wet. So it was actually pretty hard work trying to get destroy these receipts. But that wasn't here. The burning described here is like stubble, you know, small bits of dry straw. And as quickly as they would go up, well, that's what happens to the Egyptians. Comprehensive victory. Total, complete. The Egyptians are not going to be bothering the people anytime soon. And so the Israelites praise God in song for what he has done. But again, this might strike you as odd. Praising God for the destruction of hundreds, perhaps thousands of people, might not sit very comfortably. But let me give you two reasons to, to help us understand why this song is right to give praise to God for his actions. And the first one, and you probably don't need much reminding if you've been here through this series, but the Egyptians are not the good guys. The Egyptians weren't a kind, loving, let's bring peace and goodwill to all mankind kind of people. No, rather Pharaoh and his people were the epitome of evil. You think what they did? They enslaved a whole nation. They set about killing all newborn baby boys. For 400 years they enslaved this nation and put them into forced labour, making their lives bitter and harsh. And when they wanted it, they made it even worse. Now they abused and exploited and imprisoned God's people for hundreds of years. These are not innocent. Just from our song, have a look at verse 9, how it's described. Um, the enemy said, this is kind of on the, like the, the eve as they look down upon the, the Israelites' trap, and they're like, ha-ha! In verse 9, the, the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I shall draw my sword and my hand shall destroy them. See, this is the, the Egyptians. They're, they're self-centered, proud and boastful. Six times, I will or, or my. Six times, they're, they're talking about their, their ruthlessness, their aggression, their violence. They're going to come and bring harm on Israel. At the least, bring them back to slavery. At the worst, just wipe them out. Now, these people were evil, were wicked, and they were deserving of what happened to them. And with that in mind, with that in mind, secondly, it is good and it is right that God judges evil. It is good and right that he judges evil. That is part of who he is. You see in verse 11, in the middle um, line there, it says, who is like you, majestic in holiness. God is holy. He cannot tolerate evil. And yes, God is slow to anger, merciful and gracious. He is very slow to anger. He is incredibly patient. Remember again, this comes after 400 years of patience with the Egyptians. Ten chances Pharaoh and the people had to repent and to humble themselves before the Lord. But there is a time when that patience turns to wrath. 
And that is right. Because his anger is so different to ours. Whereas our anger is often uncontrolled and impulsive and unfair. The Lord's anger is just and it is measured. And him shattering the enemy is part of what it means of his glorious power. That's the phrase that's used in verse 6. Part of what makes God who he is, what makes him glorious, is this power in judgment. God hates evil. He justly judges it. He rightly punishes it. And this judgment of the Egyptians prefigures, points towards the time when he will indeed destroy everything that opposes him and his people. Christians, today, we have enemies. There are those who oppose God and his people. Satan, most of all. Death. People who aren't yet Christians, who, who ignore God and want to seek to oppress his people. But one day, those things too will be defeated. When we think of heaven and the new creation, we think of how wonderful it's going to be. Often it's described in the things that it is without. So it's a world with no wickedness, no hurt, no violence, no injustice, no danger, no corruption, no sin, no temptation, no suffering. Or how can we have a world without those things unless evil is destroyed? And so we too, as we read this song, we think and look, for, look ahead to the time when the Lord himself will again destroy all evil and wickedness. So this song of Moses is actually referred to in the Bible in Revelation chapter 15. And again the song is described, and, and this time it's as the Lamb, Jesus, destroys all his enemies as they are again cast into the sea. Just as Moses and the Israelites sang there on the bank of the, the, the sea, singing praise to God for his, his victory over evil, praising him that he is the man of war, so all God's people will one day sing that song. And that is, of course, the warning for you this morning. If you haven't submitted to God, if you haven't submitted your life to him, that the Bible is very clear right throughout that those who who reject him and oppose him, will receive just punishment for that. He is patient. He is very patient. But that patience has a limit. And that patience is used to give people an opportunity to repent, to come to Jesus, to submit to him, to trust in him, to save you. And if that has already, if you have already done that, if you are a Christian, then we join too in praising the Lord for his great salvation. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord fights for his people. The Lord has shown that conclusively. Conclusively conclusively there at the Red Sea. And he's shown it even more wholly at the cross as Jesus destroyed Satan and his work, as Jesus came to bring uh, freedom for his people.
So firstly, we, we praise the mighty Lord for his salvation. And secondly, we trust the mighty Lord who has proved himself. Because in verse 13, there is a shift from what has happened in the past to what will happen in the future. And God's past liberation gives them confidence for future leading. I think I've I've told you this before in this series, but a while back I was at a seminar by the theological advisor um, for the film Prince of Egypt. Uh, And he basically said his only contribution to the whole film, if you've seen it, was like the last 10 seconds. Because the last 10 seconds has the people pictured travelling towards Mount Sinai. Because the point he was making is that Exodus isn't only about coming out, it is also about going to. It was coming out from slavery, but travelling to the promised land. And chapter 15 is really a transitional part of the book, which is why we're, we're pausing here. The first 14, 15 chapters are all about coming out from Egypt, and the rest of the book is all about heading to, towards the promised land. So from here on in, Egypt is very much in the rearview mirror. But for the Israelites, the Exodus wasn't the end. The getting out of slavery wasn't the ultimate goal. It is heading towards something better heading to the promised lands. And that's why verse 17 really encapsulates this half of the song. It says, You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. See, God is going to bring his people to the promised land, to the mountain, that's Jerusalem to the place where God has made his dwelling place. He's going to get them there. So again, do you see the link? That that the fact that God has rescued them in the past gives them confidence that he will definitely guide them in the future and get them to where he's taken them. And it is rock-solid assurance. I don't know if you noticed, but verse 13 to 16 uh, are written in what what we tend to call the past prophetic. That is, it is so certain to happen, it's written in the past tense. It is written as though it has already happened. Because the people are there, they are there on the banks of the Red Sea, and they sing and praise God, or it hasn't happened yet, but they sing it in the past tense. Because it is so sure. So verse 13 You have led your steadfast love, sorry, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. It's as good as done. And what a wonderful combination, those two things in in verse 13. In, In the first half, you've got his steadfast love. In the second half of that verse, you've got his strength. And when steadfast love and strength are combined, What a wonderful thing that is. So God will surely lead them, guide them in his strength. And then bear in mind, this is the days before 24-7 news coverage, right? And yet the news of the Exodus is going to travel to the nations around. So again, stood there, having looking back at the defeated Egyptians, they look on to some of the other enemies they're going to face. So verse 14, the peoples have heard. They tremble 
pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are as still as stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. Have you ever been so terrified that you were frozen to the spot? Was it a spider? Or maybe you find yourself up at a great height? Well, that's what the people, the pe- these nations are going to be like. They're going to be frozen like a stone. And those who can move, well, they're only going to be trembling. Trembling in fear. Another nation is described as like a, as like a block of ice that melts away. God's victory in the past assures the people of God's victory in the future, of the people of their victory in the future over these other nations. He defeated the Egyptians, well, he, he will defeat those nations too. No one or nothing can possibly stand in his way. His past victory assures them, gives them confidence of this future deliverance. His victory is total. And this is why praise, singing praise is such the right response. He will surely finish what he has started. He will see it through. And our confidence today is exactly the same. If we're a Christian, through Jesus' death and his resurrection, we have already been redeemed. We have already been set free from the power of sin. We have already been forgiven and brought into relationship with God. He has already comprehensively defeated Satan. The outcome is assured. Jesus said it is finished. But there is more. We are not yet Christians in the promised land. We are not yet in the place of God's holy presence, holy dwelling. We are not yet seeing him face to face and enjoying him forevermore. But we will. But we will. Why? How do we know that? Well, because of what he's done in the past assures what he's going to do in the future. And because the Lord, and indeed the Lord Jesus, is a warrior. Again, I don't think this is an aspect we think of very much. But he is. The the New Testament describes Jesus as fighting for his people as destroying evil and death. The book of Revelation particularly pictures him as a warrior with a crown and a sword, administering God's wrath against his enemies. The Lord Jesus is that warrior of great strength and also unfailing love. Find those two things again in verse 13, together. And the Lord Jesus will see us home. He will lead and guide and protect. He will bring us safe home to his presence. And again, how can we be even more certain? Well, verse 18, the Lord will reign forever and ever. Unlike Pharaoh, his reign is unstoppable. His reign is uninterruptible and eternal. He reigned at the Red Sea. 
He reigned as he led his people through the sea and he reigned as he led them to the promised land. And he reigned when the Lord Jesus saved all his people by dying for them. And he, and he reigns today and he will reign for all eternity. And you might really need to hear that again this morning. You might need to hear that the Lord reigns and the Lord is a warrior. You might need to hear that. You might need to grab hold of that because so often Christians can get caught and think, well, will I really get there? All I can see is so many obstacles or problems or barriers that might prevent that. I can see so many problems and barriers as I look out in the world that might seem to stop that. I can see so many problems and circumstances in my life that might stop that. I can see so many things in myself that might stop that. We take hearts, brothers and sisters, as we think like that, to take hearts that his past victories assure us and give confidence that his future promises are true and that he will complete that salvation. Take heart that we remember that God is, the Lord is a man of war. He is a warrior, which is a good thing because he fights for his people and he will do all that is necessary to bring us home to enjoy him forever. We keep looking to him and we keep trusting in him. And it is right that we keep praising him. The right response to salvation is praise.